Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is John D'Amico. Yep. And Jenna Ipkar. Yo. All right. Today we're doing a first. We're going to devote an entire episode to a question we received on the uh, Smug voicemail. Usually we save these for the ends of an episode, but we thought this question was pretty darn good and we appreciated the uh, compliments and the uh, voicemail. And uh, we're going to do a little Thomas special. This is a Thomas's episode, really. Tommy boy. Yeah. So we're going to play Thomas's voicemail so you can hear that. And then we'll answer those questions. And uh, Bob's your uncle, Becky's your aunt, etc. You know how it Wait, goes. Wait, what? Who? <laughs> you never heard that, that second part of that one? No. I don't know what just happened, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Bob's your uncle is a, uh, it's like a British saying. It's like, all right, you know, we're whatever. Is that what it means? <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Bob's your uncle is what they say when they want to say, all right, we're whatever. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's when it comes into play. And that's endured over yeah, the yeah. years. And then there's a... They've sec- needed that enough mm-hmm. that they have a whole shorthand... <laughs> Or, all right, we're whatever. And there's a second part, which is Becky's your aunt, which is you just throw that, that in. So you head. have a whole phrase, easily twice as long as the original sentiment, <laughs> Yeah. to express, all right, we're whatever. Yeah, pretty and much. Th- an entire culture. These are the people who beat Napoleon. Mm-hmm. And this is, okay. Wikipedia says it, it is um, similar to the French expression, and voila. Yeah, it's just like, all right, you know, whatever. We're doing it. It's a lot longer than the French expression. <laughs> it's a lot less elegant. Yeah, it's shockingly inelegant. <laughs> it's British. <laughs> Is it Shakespeare? Do you think it's from Hamlet and I just forgot? Do you think Hamlet says that? Or Ophelia? I would love to see a version of Hamlet with that. A lot of cockney uh, yeah. <laughs> stuff stuck in. Bob's your uncle will get the conscience of the king. <laughs> no, we'll get the conscience of the king and Bob's your uncle and we're there. <laughs> Don't forget about Becky. Becky's your aunt. Never heard about Becky. That's some American tag on. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I've never heard of a Becky outside of like Maine. Becky's a California name to me. Really? Like mid-century California, or like an Archie character name? Yeah, Archie. Is there? Be- there's no Becky and Archie. I'd know. There's Betty. Yeah, there's Betty. There's Veronica. There's Sabrina. There's Midge. I was a fan of Veronica. I never got Betty. I never got Betty either. Did you get Betty? Never read it. <laughs> I, I only read Garfield. That's true. <laughs> I can confirm that. All, for all for all the years I've known Jenna, she's had those little uh, wider than it is tall Garfield paperbacks on the bus in elementary school. Yeah, that was my jam. I yeah. was and still remain pretty hard into Archie, actually. Dude just rules. And Jughead's cool. I like Jughead a lot. I like Moose. Jughead's great. Moose is great. Veronica's amazing. Reggie is underrated, you know, sort of the, the one bedeviling the rest of them. I could roll with Reggie. You think Bazooka Joe exists in that universe? He could. He could. He could walk in. What was in. his deal again? Nobody he wasn't, would give he him wasn't shit a soldier, he was in. he? <laughs> no, he, was a, he had that long Wait, blonde strip coming out of his could head. Could he be a soldier? That would be amazing. Well, his name is ba- Bazooka Joe. It's, and he gets just that's drafted a soldier with name. Like that's an Archie 80s soldier and name. Dude. 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 Bazooka Joe was definitely in the Pacific. <laughs> and there was Mort. Remember Mort? He had his... He had that. Uh, Who was tur- Mort? He had the. He was Bazooka Joe's friend, and he had a red turtleneck that covered half of his face. Yeah, you never. So got he that. probably because it got blown up in the war. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. 
Dude. And does, doesn't Bazooka Joe have like an eye patch? Yeah. I really don't know much yes. about Bazooka yeah. Joe, if he I'm does. being honest. So Bazooka Joe lost his eye. <laughs> Mort lost the bottom half of his face. I thought face. Bazooka Joe was like a spunky kid scientist. No. That's Jimmy Who's, Neutron. No, there's somebody else who used to appear probably on my gum, who's like a spunky kid scientist. And mm. I thought it was Bazooka Joe. Spunky kid scientist. He had brain teasers. Yeah. And he had little fortunes on the bottom. So of like Bazooka those. Joe was a grown man? No, he's a kid, but he had an eye patch. And teenager. he was probably fought in the war. No, he was like a teenager. He was, he was Archie age. That's he could pretty, show up in that's pretty the class. Grim to have a kid character with an eye patch. Yeah. Well, that's what it was like back then. Like kids would just lose eyes because you'd be playing with firecrackers in the suburban uh, street. Yeah. Or you'd just be holding sticks and fall. Yeah. That's the, that's the old stick and fall. Or what about the lawn darts, right? People talk about lawn darts. Yeah. Have you ever seen those? Those are They're vicious. Yeah. You could kill a person. Yeah. They they look like something the Confederates would have thrown into coffee cans and shot out of the uh, (laughs) cannons. Absolutely. There's a, a, an interview with the guy that wrote Bazooka Joe on the internet. I think it was, oh, here it is. It's from the Washington Post. From what year? Because I assumed he was... 2012. How can he still be alive? Oh, he's alive. And I thought is, Bazooka Joe was from like the 30s. This is the best fucking interview I've ever read. Like it How sticks old is with he? me. Oh, he's probably dead. <laughs> this is probably from Beyond the Grave. What's the interview? It's just great. It's just an interview with him. Jenny, you're killing me here. <laughs> Here, look, I'll look it up for you. We're delaying Thomas, so it should be for a reason. Here, he asked him why he has an eye patch. He says, I never asked. I always assumed it was a terrible bubblegum accident. But wasn't like, uh, okay, so Silly Putty was originally supposed to be like a war thing. Yeah. Maybe bubblegum, like let's work that into like the uh, the canon. Okay, so like maybe bubblegum, they were, they were experimenting with bubblegum in the war. They were coming up with like combos where it could be like a sneaky like spy thing where it looks like bubblegum, but it's actually like explosive. So Bazooka Joe was trying it out and that's how he got the eye patch. Maybe we'll take that very literally. And then that's like it really did explode. Like there was like explosive powder in it or whatever. I'm realizing that I don't know who Bazooka Joe is now. I thought he was a spunky kid scientist. Pull him up on your phone. Then I thought he was a soldier man. This feels like a big gap. Here, look, fears from this interview. Do you have another favorite joke of yours? A guy says, I once had Bazooka Joe travel through time and space, and he was a millionaire, and he goes to an art gallery and buys three Dalis, two Picassos, six Brocks, and then says, well, so much for Christmas cards. Now on to do some serious shopping. I remember that one. And then the Topps editor worked for PR, and she said, kids don't like art, but they like cars, so have them go to an auto dealer and buy two Chevys, three Fords, and so on. And I said, well, what about the punchline? She said, just keep it the same. So I did. Oh, okay. I, then I remember the car version. <laughs> but I remember that. The guy says, but that makes no sense. He goes, right. <laughs> That's horrible. I'm looking, at, I'm looking at Bazooka Joe's The best now. interview. Bazooka Joe Man is not the world's greatest drawer. Yeah, it's a little crude. It's terrible. They were all awful. None of, them, none of them were funny. What a weird thing. They got away with being crude because they were so little. You can get away with it when it's like the size of a postage stamp. Yeah, because you're happy enough with the gum. Yeah. And the jokes are corny and the fortunes were snide. They had fortunes? On the bottom, it'd be like a little piece of advice or something like a, a little cheeky piece of whatever. This is so close to being like a really horrifying thing. Bazooka like Joe? A, yeah, like a one-eyed man and a shattered face comrade <laughs> tell your fortune. <laughs> yeah. With Archie and friends. Yeah. I was an Archie man. I don't know nothing about no bazooks. 
I really want to see like the mash version of Archie and Bazooka Joe though. Get up on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Start mm-hmm. animating. All right. All right. Okay, Thomas, thank you for bearing <laughs> with us. We're going to play your uh, voicemail now. There's no way any of that is going to be. <laughs> hey, my name's Thomas. I'm a huge fan of the show and your guys' uh, like written work. Uh, I, I think no one else talks about movies like you guys do. Um, I had two questions for the show. Uh, I'll keep them short and sweet. Uh, first, what are some movies that you guys think will be reevaluated from the last several years or older if you want to get uh, esoteric or something? Um, I know Cody just wants to talk, talking about Hercules, which I have yet to watch, and I feel terrible about it. And uh, John's mentioned both Battleship and Eyes Wide Shut on the show, if I'm remembering right. Uh, what are some other ones that you guys think deserve a second chance? Um, second question, what's your opinion on like snuff elements in film? I know you've mentioned Joe D'Amato's works, which are just like fucking off the wall, and also Cannibal Holocaust a few times, which I refuse to watch on principle. Um, where do you think the boundary is between like body horror and straight up exploitation? Does Videodrome and other films like that count among that, or are they like just under the line? Uh, thanks so much for putting on the show, guys, and I hope to hear much more of it in the future. Bye. All right. Thank you, Thomas. That was a, a wonderful question. By the way, if you want to leave us questions, you can call in at 718-395-9711, and we will play them on the show, and we will answer them. But uh, thank you, Thomas. Thank you for the lovely compliments. Um, 555-SMID1. Is that the new number? That's the number. <laughs> That's a new I heard 555 S my D one. Yeah, I'm t- I'm being told that that's the new number. The one's the extension. <laughs> Got it. Because otherwise, you could get anybody at that, that number. <laughs> all right. So first of all, Hercules, of course. Thank you for watching Hercules and loving it. You know, and and participating in the John D'Amico gaslighting campaign <laughs> that we have going on here. Because it's every, just not good. Every new person that loves Hercules, uh, he said he didn't watch it yet. No, he did. He he hates it. No, not John. Oh, Thomas. Oh, he did. See, I glossed over that part. Yeah, because you just wanted to hear what you wanted to I, hear. I heard Hercules <laughs> and I tuned out because I was. Uh, I, I just assumed that he saw it and loved it because it's so good. I haven't watched it either, so I'm going to have to be the tiebreaker. Okay. You know, it was mad good, though, and I keep bringing it up when it comes up, is Immortals, which is probably as good an answer as any to, to that question. Which one was Immortals? Immortals was the one with Henry Cavill and Stephen Dorff, who I'm always excited to see. Where um, he's, uh, is oh, it that's Theseus? The, that's a Tarsum Singh. One. Yeah, it's Tarsum, which now I'm getting it mixed up with the other one. Is he Theseus in it? Remember, he's got the, the no, he's not Theseus. He's whoever had the, the bow, the magic laser bow. Pegasus? No, not Pegasus. Uh, Perseus. Pegasus was a horse. Perseus? Yes. yes. And um, it is No, it says he's strange. Theseus. Oh, no. okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because he fights a minotaur. Yeah, okay. False alarm. Yes, okay. He fights a minotaur, which is cool. But the coolest part about Immortals is the treatment of the gods. Because I think it's the the only one that ever really got the spirit of the Greek myths where the gods are just completely erratic and totally insane. Right. I don't want to give anything away because it's awesome. But like there's one part where Ares comes down and then Zeus comes down and they're just annihilating some regular guys. And it's one of the craziest shot action scenes I've ever seen. Hmm. Yeah, Immortals I thought was beautiful and very strange in a way that I like in historical stuff. Yeah, I want to see that one. And of course, also another recent one, Chappie, which uh, pretty much all of us love here at Smug Film that just got 
trash before it even came out. But we've talked about that one at length. But that's a that's a pick as far as one that I think Chap is a frustrating one. Once it's got more eyes on it, I think uh, it'll get a better reputation. It has the battleship thing where um, nobody saw it and decided what it was and just sort of decided they didn't want it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then when it came out and it really wasn't, you know, wasn't what it was advertised as and it it got annihilated. Personally, I think Chappie would have been better off if it was like a PG or even a PG-13 movie. Mm-hmm. Like a little bit toned down with the violence. Yeah, because it really, it, it had this sort of awkward innocence to it mixed with like some violence that was just enough that, you know, nobody would let their kids see it. Right. But I think if you were like 13 or 12, Chappie probably really would have spoken to you. Oh, yeah. And I, I think the the emotional aspect of it, that's that's really my favorite aspect of it. You know, I could take or leave the action if I had to yeah. choose. Yeah. I would just I would much rather just, you know, that being preserved. Like I, I think you wouldn't lose much with the film. No, I don't down. I don't think so at all. I'm mean, looking back on it, I don't even really remember the violence at all. It didn't no. leave any impression on me. No, it's and there all was the probably some beats. yeah, some cursing that I don't remember because it didn't leave any impression on me. But yeah, what I remember are the the emotional beats and they, they would have been totally fine. Yeah. I think in a similar vein too, those movies that come out where people have these really high expectations and then it goes in a different direction. Like uh, I liked really like Superman Returns. Yeah, and, you, you mentioned that before, and that interested me because I was pretty cold on that one. Yeah, I like really? that one too. I feel like I I, did, I guess it didn't get panned by critics so much, but it got panned by the fans. Like everyone is always like, I, think I it got panned by critics too, to be honest. Did it? Because yeah. I I just remember now people will sit there and be like, oh, not like a stupid fucking Superman returns like that. Like it gets thrown out now suddenly as it's like, like, you know, a point we can all touch upon hating. And I was like, no, I fucking love that movie. That was my favorite, uh, you know, of the more recent superhero movies. I'd certainly, you know, I'd rather see like some slow Antonioni style, like superhero flick than I would like Avengers, you know, like my thing with that movie was, I felt like it was afraid to touch Superman. Like, it felt a little too reverent to um, what it was doing. You know, it had, like, this distance over everything that made it hard to hard to absorb into. See, but that's what and I liked about it. it was a little too it. dark, visually. I, I like that, the you know, because Superman, his whole thing is, like, he has, like, a palace, ice palace of solitude, you know? And that's what yeah. I liked, that they show this sort of side of Superman as being, like, you know, a, a loner. And it was yeah. interesting because he still is a good guy. He doesn't, you know, instead of being like that lone wolf that hates the world and is doing his own thing. He's like this guy that no one understands and like doesn't fit in anywhere, but he wants to help everyone. And like, that's what I liked about it. And I like the pacing of it. I really like the sort of slow plotting, like, you know, minimal dialogue. And I thought it was acted super well. That was a great cast. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I really liked that movie. I thought it was just like, and I guess people hated it because it just wasn't like actiony enough. Yeah, even though some of the action stuff, I mean, the shot where the bullet bounces off his eyeball is probably the most innovative thing anybody's done with CGI in a superhero movie. Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I don't know. I just liked the the whole damn thing. I thought was just like it. It had that kind of futuristic feeling too. It, it felt like those sort of you know large buildings downtown and Art Deco style. You know, yeah. it was just sort of cold and echoing, but you know. But it was cool, you know, you like you wanted to look at everything and like it had life. It was good. I don't know. It kind of made me want to watch it again because I never thought much about it, even though Superman is one of the only superheroes that I really like. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I love Superman. I love the 50s Superman stuff. That's my favorite. Yeah. Um, and the, the George Reeves one, the Christopher Reeves ones, too, I think are really good. 
Um, the new one, the Henry Cavill one, I thought Cavill was great and the movie was just awful. Yeah, I, I didn't see that one. It was so long and it just had nothing. It had nothing. I think that you could have taken it down to an hour and a half and there's probably a pretty good movie about Superman and his mom in it, but Actually, all the maybe superhero stuff is crappy in it. Superman Returns also wasn't an origin story, was it? No, no, no. no. And that it was, was a great. direct sequel to Superman 2, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? Because the whole thing was he left and then it came back. Yeah. And it, it, I remember it was a big newspaper thing at the time because it was just ignoring Superman 3 and 4. Which you kind of mm-hmm. have to do. Whatever. Four was interesting because with a budget, four could have been really good, but it was it had no budget and it was terribly put together and terribly shot. But the whole idea of Superman just being like, "Nah, I'm gonna get rid of the nukes," is a pretty <laughs> good Superman story. Yeah, that's not a bad premise. Yeah. Superman Returns. I I went into with no expectations whatsoever, and I I really really yeah. dug it. Me too. I was just like, all right, and it was way yeah. better than I expected. Yeah, I wasn't like the fans who were like either overhyping it in their minds or underhyping it and just looking for things to hate. Like I just, I was like, all right, I'm going to see a Superman movie today and went with a friend to the theater and enjoyed it thoroughly. What I really like about the 50s Superman stuff, which I'm telling you, any, anybody with the remotest interest owes it to themselves to go back and watch the first two seasons of George Reeves Superman show, which I think is completely fallen by the wayside, but I would put in maybe my top five, anything superhero ever is that like it gives you this world where in any fight Superman is going to win and that's a given, which the movies all seem to try to find a way to dance around, but I think right. really is the most interesting thing about the character. And then the drama comes from when is it appropriate for him to intervene and when is it appropriate for him to fight? Right. So like there's one episode of the show, which is my favorite superhero anything, where um, this guy steals the Superman suit and he's using it to um, commit crimes. So he's like walking into a bank in Superman's outfit and like taking the money out of the bank. And because he's Superman, the whole town is just, you know, all of Metropolis is just letting him do whatever because they trust him so implicitly. But there's this like element of responsibility to it that I think is what makes Superman interesting. And all the Superman movies seem to back away from that, that element of, you know, like intervention as the, the the conflict because mm. like superman they say he um i hear comic book people who i just can't deal with all the time say that um superman's not a good character anymore because he always wins and because he doesn't really have any conflict anymore but like yeah. the story of him now is so perfect for telling a story about america now we have somebody who is so powerful that in a all-out one-on-one fight it is an absolute given that he will win and then the question becomes, what do you do with that? And when are you bullying people? And when is it inappropriate for you to step in? And then, you, you know, like, when are you being tricked into fighting something that you shouldn't be fighting? That's a great point. You know, and like, that's the stuff that I feel like all the Superman movies, all of them don't touch. I think also, yeah, Superman is a, it's a, it's an optimistic comic book. It's an optimistic character, you know, and it's a, it's. I guess directly against all these sort of angry nerds who, uh, you know, yeah. just they can't deal with like they want more brooding. Like, oh, he's alone. Why doesn't he hate everyone? Like, I hate everyone. And it's like, no, he's yeah, not they're that looking, guy. They're looking for the characters to feel exactly like you know a nerd, like an angsty teenager. Yeah. There's, really a, what it there's is. a great scene in the George Reeves show where he saves Jimmy Olsen, who's like locked in this cellar, and he bursts through the wall of the cellar and like all the bricks go flying and he's standing with his hands on his hips and the cape flowing behind him. And Jimmy looks and was like, you could have gone in through the door. 
And Superman's like, yeah, this seemed like more fun. <laughs> and like, that's like the Superman that I would want to see again. Yeah. yeah. Now, on the flip side, how do you think the uh, the Batman films, the Nolans are going to be reevaluated? Because I really don't think those are going to maintain their, um, you know, they have this air of like perfection to them and like, oh, those are the yeah. best. They were cursed with that. Yeah. You know, like people cursed them with this idea that they were the apex of that genre. That's really going to fade fast, I think. I never really dug them, except I liked Batman Begins. I liked things in it. I wouldn't call it a movie that I particularly liked, I guess, but there were things I liked in it. I liked the first one the best, but you know what's funny? um, Two and three I can't deal with whatsoever. I, I, I mentioned that recently to a friend and they were like, oh, it's so cartoony. I can't stand it. And I was like, really? I was like, I don't remember that at all. So I went back and watched it. And I, I do realize in comparison to two and three, yeah. it's way more cartoony, but that's what I like about it. I actually miss that about two and three is that, you know, I like that they built these sets, you know, these like in these sort of crazy buildings that are a little bit askew and, yeah. like, you know, it had more style and I really like that. And I think as it's sort of self-contained, it was a great, it was a really great origin story for once, you know, and that's what, you know, of course, launched the thousand bad origin stories, but it just, uh, it had a, a good, it walked that good line between like, I think sort of realistic and also it's a superhero movie, you know, like it gave you this good reason, like emotional reasons and backstory for how and why he became who he became. And then you just sort of accepted certain things like, yeah, he dresses it as a bat as he does it. And people dug it at the time. They weren't thinking like, oh, it's good, but it's missing this, this and this. Like it was very well received. That's what happens though when you have a series that's so praised like that. Inevitably, they'll be taken down from like a movie that everybody really liked to one that all you remember were the little points where it didn't live up to being, you know, the greatest movie. Like it's Citizen Kane syndrome on those movies. Only, you know, obviously they're not nearly as good. But Citizen Kane is one of those movies where everybody goes into it expecting the best movie. And you can't hold a movie to that expectation. No. Right. It really, um, it pits you against it almost. I expect those three movies will be remembered the way I remember the second one now, which is a movie that had a lot of really good things going for it. That was too long and a little too serious and didn't know how to end, but overall was probably better than it was disappointing. And like, I think that's really all that those three are worth. Whereas I think Batman Returns and the 60s Batman are, are weird little mini masterpieces. But the Nolan ones, I think, are just a little too, um, they're a little too locked into um, they're just doing, yeah, they're a little too locked into like doing something for the impact on opening night as opposed to the impact on the film. Right. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's about, it's the like that, look how much money we spent. Like shock I don't know factor. that it's that exactly, but I think it's a little like this look how serious we're taking it factor. That too, yeah. Which I feel like comes with the fact that the the money, you know, I don't know. I saw the last one in IMAX and like it was just the biggest mistake. It just I think it I made me hate it more. Movie. It's a terrible <laughs> movie. I also think Inception will not hold up at all. Oh, I oh, hate it. That didn't not. hold up after I left the theater. Quite Inception, the trouble with Inception is the the trouble with the Batman movies where there's good stuff in it and it just it feels two rewrites away from being a real movie. Yeah, he 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 spends what like two and a half hours telling you about this like oh this great concept I had like why don't you show it? <laughs> I still don't understand why the end of that movie wasn't a big gun battle in the flipped over city instead of in the ice palace from Goldeneye. Right, they never show that freaking flipped over city except for that one second where they're like yeah. look what we can do. Like and if then they, they had never do one it. more rewrite, somebody would have come <laughs> along and be like, well we can't use that. 
<laughs> in the middle and then not do anything with it. Let's just make this the end of the movie because yeah, it's the would, best part. That would have to be, yeah. Which is like the second Batman movie with another rewrite. Somebody would have been like, well, why don't we just end with the whole thing where the truck flips because it's the best part of the movie right mm-hmm. instead of having another thing after it that's yeah, not that, that good that weird thing that like felt like out of like a spider-man raimi movie where it was like the prisoners on the um the freighter and they had like the button and they had to maybe blow up each other but then they're like oh, yeah and well, then there's like a swat raid on like a construction site yeah, yeah like that's not the so end bad. of your movie a swat raid no. on a construction site it's a truck flipping over in a whole bunch of motorcycle things in a tunnel that's a good end to your movie yeah See, I'm uh, I'm always pulling for Batman and Robin to be reevaluated because I think that's my favorite. People are trying. I'm not on board with this. I'm. Hey, man, if people are trying, you guys got to call in because I want to talk to y'all because you're my like long lost cousins or something. You see it I all over movie. the Internet, though. All the you do. There's like 50. Th- yeah, there's like 50,000 articles now and all the I think either Dissolve or Vulture or AV Club or one of them or two of them. There's always some... People like Batman and Robin besides me. I haven't me. seen that either. There's but then some, again... <laughs> there's, there's a growing movement that it's like a camp masterpiece. Oh, it is. Which I don't really care about camp, so it doesn't work for me. But um, yeah, like it's, it's happening a lot. I love that movie. Wait, I want to talk about how Prometheus was great and all the haters Yo. suck it. Prometheus is the best. I think Prometheus is the second best science fiction movie since Jurassic Park behind Gravity. I think of my lifetime, the the three best science fiction movies were in order, Jurassic Park, Gravity, Prometheus. And people get real mad when I say it. See, Gravity, I, I could, I don't really agree with, but I like Prometheus and I'm excited for the next couple of films. I think that as long as they just drop the stupidity and like the sort of, you know, the, the bad judgment of like characters people in, kept in saying Prometheus. that i did not see that at all i did but you know what it didn't i didn't ruin the film for me it just i didn't felt like, see that at all eh. what people were coming out flipping out that like they were caught off guard by weird monsters but like here's the thing that was so great about jurassic park is that all of the characters are scientists and they feel like scientists they look at stuff and they're like oh shit don't kill it because that's a fucking t-rex you know like they're yeah they i totally great, agree with like, that but they're not scientists in um I mean, a couple of them are, but in Prometheus, like the guy gets killed by a snake in the snake scientist. He was a, he was a geologist. Yeah. But even then he should have been a little more cautious. That's it. That's all. That's all I wanted was just a little more so, like, cautious. tiny tweaks and like, yeah, it could have been fine. Yeah. I like, you know, I was fine with like the sort of picking off of everyone, everyone dying. Sure. That's fine. I'm, I'm totally okay with it. I just wanted like, you know, that guy who like takes his helmet off and then tries to kiss the alien snake and it bites him in the face and then he dies. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> like that's what happens. In real life. I thought his helmet was on and it acided through the helmet. Or was that another guy? That was another guy, I think. There was one dude who like just straight up took his helmet off and was like, look at this animal. It's like, well, I guess people do that in real life too. So, all right, you got you got that. But I like Prometheus and I loved uh, David 8. So I'm there. I can't wait for this I next really movie where the, it's just going to um, be him. The digital ghost thing, you know, when they had like the holograms of the um, yeah, the big guys running through the halls. I thought that was so creepy and such a cool concept that I'd never seen in anything. Yeah. So what do you guys think of the critiques of Prometheus where like people say like it doesn't make sense? You know, I, I hear that a lot where they're like, oh, the plot is like totally who gives a random. Fuck yeah, exactly. Plot. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've said for a long time that there's a big difference between a plot and a story. Mm. And the plot is the least interesting thing about what you're making. See, I've never and seen Prometheus. And if your Prometheus, story is about the folly one. of man, which it was, 
have men be full of follies. People get pissed off in horror and sci-fi movies when they see people make bad decisions, but a lot of horror and science fiction movies are about the way people make bad decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of that criticism is people getting defensive. It's you see the shit in the zombie shit all the time too, where people like to fantasize about how like they would beat the zombies because of their perfectly logical serial killer <laughs> fucking hideouts and everything. And right. like, no, fuck you. You would be scared and you would trip and you're probably fat. So you would die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like this whole idea Jeez. of people doing things in a tactically appropriate way is strangling science fiction and horror, I think. Well, that's like how everyone criticized Prometheus because she gets that like, you know, surgery and then she gets stapled up and then runs for like five miles from like a rolling spaceship, right? Yeah. And people flipped out about that and they're like, oh, it's not realistic. But you're like, yeah, but space travel is, you know? Also, (laughs) she's jacked up on adrenaline and whatever drugs they gave her. And it's like space medicine, so it's probably better than ours. Yeah, that's exactly. I was like, I, you know, yeah, okay, fine. It was, I mean, it I was kind of dumb. A, but. You can get a tooth pulled now and then eat something four hours later or whatever. <laughs> you go back a hundred years, you'd be sucking soup for like a month. Yeah. You know, like who knows what that weird thing was giving her. Yeah, no, I was fine. It was space totally PCP. okay. <laughs> she probably was. Like people don't meet movies halfway, I feel like, in yeah. horror and sci-fi now, which really frustrates me because it's... It's not hurting anybody but yourself and then in a weird way the filmmakers because then the result of it is you end up having to come up with something like Batman 3 where like everything is swallowed under a sea of like SWAT maneuvers. Yeah, it's, it's very, uh, it's it's like you're watching like a Warhammer 40,000 game being played on like a tabletop. Yeah, exactly. I also, I just hate the, the like idea that like, well, Alien was the best ever, great, most perfect thing. So anything after. It was though. <laughs> but so anything after has to be uh, like better, you know, like how, how, you know, it's like the new Indiana Jones, same thing. I like that movie. The kingdom of the crystal guy. Crystal skull. No problem. I with think it. Indiana Jones has a track record of um, two for four. And the first one isn't even in the best. I thought, I always thought the third was the best one. Yeah. The third's definitely the best one. Temple of Doom's my favorite. But really? Or Temple of Doom did. <laughs> yeah, man. Always have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not rolling with that one. <laughs> But that's the thing is like Indiana Jones is a great movie and it has, I think that the same things about Indiana Jones that make Jurassic Park great is that there's like a sort of realistic attitude that the characters take a, a practical attitude towards things for the most part. Not really. But that's the other thing. No, is like, I get what you're saying, though. He's you can see him reason through problems. Right. Which is what I liked about it. But then, you know, OK, Crystal Skull, for the most part, it felt like a, you know, a kind of a second rate Disney ride. But it was fun. The only thing and, you know, and everything made sense. It, you know, it's about the fucking 50s. Yeah, there's aliens. Duh. It's about the 50s. There's a, a freaking, you know, there's a bomb. There's everything like it yeah, makes I didn't, sense. I didn't get the complaint about the aliens. It's yeah, like, the alien them. stuff is cool because when yeah. you lay it out in the chronological order of those movies, you go from pre-Christianity to new age post-Christianity. Yeah. Because the first one, Temple of Doom, is like ancient Hindu stuff that's like thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. Right. And then the next one, chronologically, Raiders is the Old Testament. And then the next one, chronologically, is Last Crusade, which is Christian Apocrypha from like the 12th century. And then you push forward and you get like new age, 20th century post-Christian religion. Like, there's this really cool yeah. time frame to it all. It, it all made sense. I, I like, you know, it just, yeah, it just wasn't, yeah, it wasn't as good, but, you know, it was fine. I saw it a couple of times. I thought it was fine. The was thing enjoyable. that gets complained about with it a lot, which is people always point to the refrigerator scene, 
And I wasn't a fan of the movie, but I actually really liked that part because it reminded me of the kind of like lateral thinking, like puzzle solving logic that you have to do in one of like the Indiana Jones, like text adventure games. Yeah. Or like like in Indiana Jones, the movies where he's trying to figure out how to get across the path or whatever. It's all, it's it's like text adventure, those movies. Yeah. And I I really dug that part of the fridge thing because I could see that in pixels, like on the computer, Hmm. me playing that and like having to think, oh, fuck, I got to, you know, use the fridge. Plus, look. The scene that actually did bother me, though, was the scene where they're on the trucks and the army ants are coming because that one felt like a big missed opportunity to me because it felt really weightless you like remember, where they were they, they, it didn't feel like there was any space or anything that they were interacting with do you remember the the video game for apple 2 called gold rush no and then no. you walk through this one stage and these ants eat you and then you're fucked oh damn i remember sim ant where you're an ant sim ant was great and it's you so on the little, scary the little captions and they're like yeah. better dead than red <laughs> Cement was so scary though when the, uh, the spider yeah oh, oh my Jesus. god oh my god <laughs> Cement was too much Cement will be remembered forever in it my will. mind along with Zork my favorite text adventure yeah, you're big on Zork freaking love there's Zork. a bunch of Zorks Zork though, and right? Garfield that's your shit yeah aren't there like five Zorks or something yeah the last one was Zork the Grand Inquisitor which was the very good Zork. it was a really good game I wish you could find those again I don't know what happened to that was uh well, who did Zor- the Z machine? Was get a there DOS well. box, yo! I got all sorts of old DOS games. On I my got all my now. old computers still, but I have the freaking CD for Zork the Grand Inquisitor. They I got it at a all, Mac. They're Expo. all like uh, digitized now. You can just download them and run them in like a little emulator. Zork. I was playing uh, Catacombs Two the other day. Return to Zork has my favorite line, which is that drunk dude. Same thing, pro- problem solving. You have to get him drunk, but if you keep drinking, then you die. <laughs> So you have to pour your drink out into the... He, the guy keeps cheering you. He's like, want some rye? Of course you do. Here's to us. Who's like us? Maybe we should just nut up and get a better liver. <laughs> be my solution. Well, you just keep drinking and then he falls falls apart. Anyhow, what what other movies? I'm trying to think. Uh, so uh, Indiana Jones, I liked it. I don't well, have I was, any problem yeah, with it. Yeah, I was going to dig a little farther back. I mean, I've been talking about Mortal Kombat Annihilation lately. I adore that film. And I feel like in particular, you got these people that like are going crazy over Kung Fury and like that kind of like breakneck, crazy, like action all over the place, stupid shit happening, like ironic thing. But I think maybe like if they go back and they look at Mortal Kombat Annihilation, it's that same vibe, but it's earnest and it's not ironic and it's sincere and it has action beats every single fucking scene and it just fucking goes and goes and goes. And it has all these like disparate elements of like special effects and visual effects that are just coming together. Like you have like, uh, you know, practical effects. You got like uh, stupid chroma key stuff that doesn't work. You got like all these different things, all these I ways. Love stupid chroma key stuff that doesn't work. Yeah. And it's all in the same soup. And it it has that thing that I guess people are liking from Kung Fury. And I guess they're keying into because the ironic thing makes it okay for them to enjoy. But man, it's so fucking enjoyable, that film. Well, it looks like they're inside of a soup in that movie. Now yeah. that you say it, mm-hmm. that's probably the soupiest looking movie I've ever seen. <laughs> I yeah, think it's I the it. backgrounds. You know, there's just this, you feel like they're in like, maybe like tomato basil soup. <laughs> <laughs> a light broth though. Not one of those real thick ones. It's like, you know, where you dip mozzarella sticks in. Yeah. Like a minestrone. Yeah. Broth. That's a very soupy film. I adore that film. I avoided it for many, many years because I just assumed it was probably Because you don't like soup. <laughs> I love soup, but I didn't know it was soup at the time. 
And uh, I like the first one. I think the first one's enjoyable, but that's... Doesn't look like soup. No, it doesn't. And I think the, the series benefited from looking like soup. I think so. I very much agree with that. You thought it was like an instant... You thought it was like a top ramen. No, it was It was a nice... Uh, Hardy Campbell's. It was a good minestrone. It was like Amy's minestrone. Yeah. Oh, Amy's. Yeah, it's definitely an Amy's soup. You know, not quite homemade, but pretty high end for yeah. store-bought. Yeah, pretty good. So yeah, I, I highly endorse... <laughs> Mortal Kombat Annihilation, especially to anybody who maybe dug that weird, crazy, nonstop action, no logic uh, stuff in uh, Kung Fury, which I absolutely hate, which I, I just can't watch that fucking thing. All right, let me hit you all with one that um, is in its way, probably gets people as mad as Indiana Jones for the thing from 2011 with Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Mm. Either you see it. No. no. <laughs> Here's the thing about it. The Thing 81, the Carpenter version, or 82, I think, Carpenter version, people flip their dicks over that yeah, movie. Yeah, they love that movie. I prefer The Thing from 1951. Mm -hmm. If it's me, I'm going with the Howard Hawks version any day. I think it's um, one of the greats of all time. I really love the characters in it. I think the dynamic's great. Carpenter 1, I think, is an incredibly well-made film, but a film that I think has some pretty big flaws. I don't think it comes together perfectly. I think it's um, probably like a an 8.5 out of 10. But you get a lot of people out there who, for whatever reason, that movie is there, you know, 11 out of 10 gold standard, top of the pops. So obviously when they said they were going to do another one, everybody flipped out. And it, it's one of those ones like Chappie or like Battleship, which also pretty good, or like uh, Indiana Jones 4, which to be honest, I didn't really like, but same sort of premise where as soon as it was announced, it was pretty much a given that people were going to hate it. And it was fucking good. It wasn't great. It's not as good as the Carpenter version. Obviously not as good as the, the 50s version, which is my 10 out of 10. But, you know, it's probably like a solid 7, 7.5 out of 10. The acting's really good. The thing itself is really beautifully done. It's, it's very eerie. It, um, it's this mix of practical and CGI that, that works pretty well, I think. It, it, um, it looks very off. It looks very like um, you're looking at something that you're not supposed to be seeing in a way that I think really works. Um, and it's warmer than the Carpenter version, which I like. The characters, you really feel like they kind of like each other, which you never felt like in the Carpenter version, which was the point of the Carpenter version. Right. But in this one, it really changes the vibe of it to have these people that like each other that suddenly can't trust each other. And then it does these really cool things because it's a prequel. So it's set in the Norwegian station that they go to visit in the middle of the Carpenter one. Mm. Which means that you know the space going into the movie. Right. And you know how it's going to end going into the movie. So they're really good about playing with your expectations of like how things are going to go. Like they'll lead you into thinking like, oh, that's how that axe got on the wall in that one scene. But then they'll just at the last minute, it'll happen slightly different from how you expect. Mm. Which I think especially if you've seen the Carpenter one recently, will give it an extra dimension of like just a little bit of unpredictability. Yeah, I want to see that one now. Maybe I'll try that during my October binge of horror, which I do yeah. every year. I only watch horror in October. I yeah, know. me too. I only really? watch yeah. horror and I only listen to punk. Right on. Jesus. Jenny, you should try that. Maybe only watch horror in October. I have a hard enough time sleeping. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, maybe I guess next I could. year. I could. Yeah, but the, the <laughs> when thing, I grow up. The thing 2011, not, uh, you know, not like a masterpiece, but. See, I'd watch really that. Really good. I like the thing. Yeah, yeah, really good, I'll, really good fun. I'll um, throw that in the queue for uh, this coming month. Yeah, and it, it's one that just the fan base for the first one is so obnoxious that, you know, there's nothing you can do. 
Yeah, you just, they're not going to admit that it's good, even if they like it. I just what's with these fan bases that like you know they love something and that's it. Like their whole life is yeah. over. I don't understand. I don't know how like people who like the Carpenter version also will then go and um, trash the fifties one because it doesn't it, it doesn't have the shape shift or anything because you couldn't do that in the fifties, no. and you know it doesn't have the paranoia in the same way. But like, take it on its own fucking terms. It's a different movie, right? Right. And they both can be really good. One is about people coming together and one is about people coming apart and just you'll you'll get these fan bases that will curse every other movie because either they're too much like or too different from the one movie they like well that's what i can't stand in particular about like the batman fan base because it's so weird that like there's the diehard batman fans who only accept a certain version of batman but swear that that's batman yeah and then they'll pretend that until 2006, they didn't all love the Tim Burton ones. Mm-hmm. Right. Fuck you, we all love those movies. They were awesome. And they, they swear that Batman's this incredibly dark, brooding character. And to be honest, there's there's many shades of Batman, and there always has been. Even in, like, I've been reading the old, original Batman, Bob Kane stuff, and I'm having a great time reading it because it's, it's fucking crazy. It's all over the place. And the darkness is handled in such a way that it's almost like Bob Kane doesn't know what's dark and what's light whatsoever. So you'll have like one of the comics, it'll be pretty lighthearted for like the whole comic. And then towards the end, you know, when they find the guy who is like, you know, killing people or whatever, they're going to take him away to um, jail. And then the guy just shoots himself in the head and Batman's like, all right, well, that's fine. Like, you know, it, that's probably an okay end to this. I had somebody tell me once that the Joker was the most complex character written since Hamlet. And since that day, I never read another superhero comic. That's <laughs> I don't the thing. It. it turns you I don't off. Yeah, it was like 2007, 2008 or something. And, it, you know, it was the height of that whole thing. And I was just like, you know what? No. No. It, there's like a weird fundamentalism with people yes. now. And that's what they drives me They even use religious terms to yeah. describe it. I mean... Canon, canon and all that stuff that is <laughs> that's describing the books of the bible calm right. down it's <laughs> really so weird in. yeah it, 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 it's uh, yeah batman batman was always all over the place batman was as colorful as it was dark from the very start like the batman and robin stuff like he's all the stuff that will happen that's like so weird and dark like um another example which is really great is there's this one that all these people are dying by hatchets people are getting hatchets to the face <laughs> And Batman's like, all right, well, it's definitely the Chinese because the, oh the hatchet's a Chinese person's weapon. <laughs> he says that in the comic and he's right. He's totally right. He, he solves the crime because he decides that the hatchet's a Chinaman's weapon. Wow. And so they go after the Chinese. And <laughs> he finds this like nice Chinese in Chinatown oh, that he God. can hook up with. And then the, that guy helps him like to get like the bad Chinese. <laughs> This is like when Captain America was punching the Japanese guys all over the city and everything. And they had the war bomb things in the back of the books. Here's the clincher. The very next comic is a white guy using a hatchet to kill somebody else. Oh, my God. And it's never brought up that Batman was wrong whatsoever. It's never brought up that like, all right, other people use hatchets, too. It's not just a Chinaman's weapon. Jesus. And what, what year was that? You're like last this year. Was, no, this was uh, it would 2005. Have to be, <laughs> I would say like uh, 39 or 38 because uh, I'm reading right from when they're starting. So I don't know. That's still iffy. Yeah. Or from 40, <laughs> maybe 40 could be. 
But yeah, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun reading those because they're just all over the place. They're a mix of Joel Schumacher, a mix of Burton, a mix of Nolan, a mix of everything just in this swirling soup, like right from the start. You know, maybe it is like, the, you know, the, the church, people going to church has fallen off and people being more active and religious has fallen off. But, you know, comic books have gotten big. Well, those <laughs> they same really personalities have a, they, they need to be. They need some sort of way to get out of a person. Oh, absolutely. They really, they know it the same way, though. You used to know way back, you know, in like ancient Greek times and Roman times, you used to know the stories and origins and personalities of the gods. Right. Right. I mean, there really is. I've been researching that era a lot lately, um, Greek antiquity, because I had a, I have projects I want to do about it. And like, it's eerie, the, the similarities in like, even the way they draw them, they'll have very specific like, I mean, they'll have the, they'll have their outfits that they wear, the gods. Yeah. And you have this same sort of thing where, like, a lot of people, like, don't believe in them, but, like, kind of believe in them. You know, the way people... Do you remember in Galaxy Quest when um, when the, the kid is talking to the captain on the phone and he's like, look, man, I know it's not real. And then Tim Allen's like, it is real. And the kid just goes, I fucking knew it. <laughs> That's what it's like. You know, that sort of, like, yeah. somewhere in you that you, like, believe in Batman. Like, it really was like that with, like, um, you know, with Ares and whoever and Poseidon. And you have this weird quasi-cargo cult feel with the whole thing. Yeah. something. And there's this, like, sense of, like, ownership. It is cargo cult. That's exactly, yeah. (laughs) Something else I had on my list, another comic book movie that I think will be reevaluated. I don't know fucking when. But uh, it's actually, like, a good movie and it has a bad reputation, which is... The original Punisher movie, the Dolph Lundgren one Oof. from the 80s. It, you like that one? I like that one a lot. First of all, it's, and this is no feat really, is it's it's his best starring role, but that's no impressive <laughs> feat. But uh, I like the vibe of it a lot. I don't think it's it's as bad as people say it is. It's like I, 60% of dude naked in a sewer. Oh, I've got to watch it. <laughs> Jenna's on board. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, one of the final fights. They do like great stuff where like suddenly the whole screen is red and black, and then it's like blue and black, and like it, it, they play with like visuals pretty interestingly. I like the vibe of it. I, I like that movie like genuinely. Like I, I find myself in the mood for that movie a lot, which is weird. That's weird. <laughs> it really does have that perfect like eighties grunge vibe, though. You know, if you want to see yeah. like like one of those like darker eighties um, comics or whatever. It kind of hits that. It's like a little grainy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ninja type bad guys, it, sewers for no reason, motorcycles. It's, it's got a it's fun got one. it all. It is a fun one. I think people should uh, explore that one. One that um, really works on me that is another one that I feel like people are needlessly antagonistic towards because it's a remake. Even though I feel like it doesn't have the same kind of fan base, people just jump on board and pretend they're part of its fan base. Halloween and Halloween 2, the Rob Zombie ones. Right. I think they're both really good. And um, people get mad at them because they say it destroys the character of Michael Myers, which, first of all, the Halloween movies destroyed the character of Michael Myers. Yeah. Halloween 4 destroyed the character of Michael and Myers. Five and, six. and 5 and 6. And 5 <laughs> and 6 and H20 and that last one with, was it Busta in the last one? <laughs> Might as well, or Coolio. No, it wasn't Coolio. It was some... Uh, I would say it's Busta. I would put my money on might Busta. Have been. Yeah. You know, they destroyed themselves because that's what happened to those series. And um, what I really like about the Rob Zombie ones, even though I don't think they're perfectly made or anything, but in particular, the second one, I think, has some great stuff in it. And it's probably 20 minutes of cuts away from being one of the best horror movies of the decade. The, the first half of the movie is 
nothing but exploring survivor's guilt. Right. So you have the two girls who survived the events of the first movie, and Michael Myers doesn't even show up for like an hour, maybe an hour and a half into the movie. And you just watch these two girls who were like 16, 17, they're coming of age, they're coming to the end of high school, and they're just all fucked up because they watched all their friends die and they like narrowly avoided getting killed themselves. And you have like this cool domestic drama where like their dad, the sheriff, was the one who saved them. And there's all these like, just a lot of like family fighting and a lot of like, she goes to see her therapist and and there's just these scenes where she's screaming, lashing out about her therapist. And that stuff's really interesting. You don't ever see that. And um, meanwhile, Dr. Loomis, who was, who's Malcolm McDowell in this, and he was um, Donald Pleasance in the original movies, and do you remember in the original movies when um, he gets so obsessed with Michael Myers that in the second movie, he runs into that kid who kind of looks like Michael Myers with his car and right. kills him and then just runs away and like kills like three or four people during the course of those movies because he thinks they're Michael Myers. But he's always kind of played as a good guy. Mm-hmm. In these ones, they don't really hide from the fact that he's fucking nuts. Right. So you have this really interesting thing where he wrote a book about Michael Myers and he made a ton of money off of it. And he's trying to cash in on the um, prestige of like being the guy who knew the killer. So you have this other element where half of it's about survivor's guilt and half of it is about like the cult of personality that serial killers have. And that stuff is stuff that I've never really seen in a movie. Yeah, that's rare. Yeah. And it's really, they're very um, sharp and neither of them are perfect. There's some bad acting in the second one that I think brings it down. And the first one takes a little while to find its shape. But the the concept of them and the the style of them and the and the content of them, I think, is really unique and really good. Well, the thing too is, it's like, how bad could they be? Are they worse than four, five, six? No. Are they worse than two? Probably not. So they're they're the second best thing to like the first one. The second one has it in it. If I think it's twenty minutes of cut away from being yeah better than the first, the, hmm. the even better than the yeah. original Incredible. because it's just so unusual. And it's just so on point about like what that would be like. Mm. You know, you look at this little town that survived a massacre and it really like, it's almost not even a, a, a horror movie at that point. It's, it's like for an hour, it's just a domestic drama. And it's really, it's just a very good movie. Somebody did, I think it might've been, um, might've been Vulture or somebody. They did their list of um, like the hundred best horror movies of the decade. And that was like number two or three. And I was really happy because it was the only time I'd seen somebody go to bat for it. But they said pretty much the same thing I did, that it's not perfect, but it's really unusual and really memorable and, and haunting. Mm. Yeah, I, I love those movies. I, I think they deserve a lot more credit than they get. And I think they will get that credit. Because you have this fan base that like rides with Michael Myers, but like nobody really does. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not like there's still Halloween stuff being put out. So when they talk about it, it destroys a character or whatever. No, it, it, there's nothing. Yeah, nobody was playing around with yeah, it. Yeah, there's nothing to destroy. There's a very good movie and a series of increasingly shitty sequels. And, you know, it's a mask. It's not a character. It's a mask. Right. And you can't destroy that. I also like uh, Lords of Salem, which I don't think was well received, but I that's my favorite Rob Zombie. So... You know, I would hope. That I heard that, that from a few people. I heard people say that was really the one. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I'm gonna October first. I'll be doing Lords of Salem. I would love for you to do that, and I would love to hear your take on it. It's a, uh, it's a, like you said about Halloween too. It has so many elements that are very unusual for a horror film. Yeah, and uh, a lot of it deals with addiction in a way that I haven't seen even most dramas tackle. Yeah, 
And I, I think it's, I think it's just an extraordinary film and also deals with like the, um, the, the kaleidoscope like effect of drugs too. Like, and the, um, you know, it, it handles addiction in a very real way and it handles like transcendental drug experiences in a very real way. That's interesting. I, I really dig that one. I've seen that a couple of times and it, it definitely holds up. Another series that I do think will get reevaluated, you know, this is way off from horror, but I think the Jackass series, I think those guys are going to get a lot more respect as it's looked back on in film history. You saw that happen when the third one came out. Yeah. I mean, the critics really went for the third one and everybody said the same thing that you know these were our buster keaton and we probably didn't know it absolutely and i think even more distance people are going to see that element even more in those films and the difference between them and all the other people who do stuff like that is they're genuinely good personalities yeah like you really like spending a movie with them yeah they're good people and um i always thought the best thing they did and the one that i'm waiting for people to rediscover again it was Wild Boys. I thought Wild Boys was such a brilliant yeah, show. Yeah, you love Wild Boys. Yeah, because it's just, it's such a good nature show mm -hmm. on top of being a jackass thing. Well, they have that great guy who shows up in their, their other stuff that... Um, yeah, Manny. Yeah, he's he's incredible. Yeah, he was a great find, which is what I'm talking about. Like, they, they, as just personalities to host something like that. They're all really good MCs. Yeah. And Wild Boys, it was just such an innovative idea and and the places they go are so beautiful and the footage they get of animals because they're, you know, not afraid to be murdered by them mm -hmm. <laughs> is, is very different from the footage you get from anything like planet earth or whatever, which is as beautiful as anything ever. But you know, it, it almost would make a good um, double feature with planet earth because one is like stately perfect distance. <laughs> and the other is this like messy getting in there and just getting these like very unusual glimpses of like, nature and action Wait, i would love to see that like an intercut yeah <laughs> like one film or david Attenborough narrating wild boys for yeah. yeah that would be great <laughs> so yeah, jenna really you have uh, you have any more before we ski dads and tackle his other topic well i'll i'll uh give a shout out to oz the great and powerful actually talking right. about rime before because you know what that movie is is a really interesting um that's a franco one right yeah with james franco it's a really interesting take on it and i think what i like the best about it at worst it's like bad cgi and like the sort of like a lame like ugly colors and like that sort of lame like the that alice in wonderland that tim burton did which right. was awful like at worst it kind of gets close to that but then at best you have like james franco as this perfect smarmy womanizer and it's just about how he shows up screws all these women over and then leaves <laughs> and it and it's perfect it's like you're like yeah this like this one guy he all just right, screws Franco. everything up yeah. and he does it so well because he's he can play smarmy so well it really plays up to him being great it's like actually you know what gone girl which i hated affleck in that movie is great even though that's another movie i think that everyone loved that i think is going to be forgotten immediately but he's perfect in that movie forgotten. yeah it is exactly it's gone girl <laughs> <laughs> nah, be. he was so All good right. in that because he was the same thing he was just so well cast as like this sort of like smarmy doesn't really know how to be sad like you know his his wife is gone and he's kind of like in this trance walking around and then they're like hey smile and he like smiles he just doesn't know what to do he was great in that movie. yeah that really was the most interesting stuff about that was just seeing somebody with no media training yeah, in that, like the first half of, of that vipers. movie was great. The second yeah. though, they do the second half of that film with the twist. I was, yeah. I was like I was that so angry. Bit, I totally forgot about it. You brought it up, but when he smiles and you just like cringe 
Yeah. And he's like, come on, man. And you can even tell, you even feel bad for him too. Yeah, you like, really you know, do. He really, you know, like he just, uh, he just is, you know, he's just reacting. That would have been a better movie. It would have been. Just about somebody with bad, with no media training <laughs> stuck in that situation. That's what I wanted from that movie. Yeah. And they totally dropped the ball on it. But I, I liked, I, Oz was good. I, I would recommend, and the, the costumes in that are really beautiful, actually. That was a, there was a lot of really nice elements in that. Yeah. And I like Raimi. I mean, like, he's a, a good director in general. He has a good sense of humor. There's always, like, in the best bits, too, are, like, his sort of humor in there and he, things that are very clearly his choices. So, I don't know. I, I You know, it wasn't the best movie of my life, but, you know, it was, it was good. Well, I remember hearing a, uh, well, seeing, rather, a Maddox uh, review oh on YouTube. <laughs> No, nothing. You don't like the Maddox? I did in the nineties. Yeah. Well, he's he's still he's still around. He's still cranking. See cranking that? I'm, I'm out. actually shocked by that. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. <laughs> Occasionally, I'll watch his stuff, and uh, you'll watch it. He does video now. Oh, he does well, videos yeah, now. He totally blew my mind. All right, continue. Get to see his face. I don't yeah. want that. But um, <laughs> yeah, he did a review of Oz the Great and Powerful, and he pointed out that it's a beat by beat exact copy of army of darkness you know another sam raimi film and um i i forgot to finally watch oz the great and powerful because i i really liked that that seeing that i was like oh man there's something interesting going on with this movie then i can i can see that i mean but there's i think that what's more interesting is also just the two the two witches and the sisters you know, like they had a really sister interesting, witches? yeah, they had a really interesting, yeah. <laughs> excited about sister witches. That sounds awesome. They're yeah. really interesting. I was also element. a big Sabrina fan, I should say. Sabrina oh, and Archie. Too. So <laughs> any, any sort of sister witch thing. I mean, which one of the ants did you have a crush on? Um, the redhead. What was it? With the, they both blonde? Well, maybe she was blonde, but the one who had her hair up all the time with uh-huh. the, with the, um, funnier voice, the one who was the funnier one. Oh, I like the serious one. Yeah, what, wasn't she a redhead? She wasn't, no. She was blonde, wasn't she? Yeah, Caroline Ray. Really, to be honest, I just had my eye on Sabrina and evil Sabrina girl. Well, I love that cat. Yeah, the cat was my dude. He was Garfield, fantastic. wasn't he? No. Music? No. Music. Lorenzo Music was Garfield. Yeah. I he forget sounded was, like Garfield. Yeah, he had a little bit of that. A little Garfield vibe. Oh, no, he was one of the angry beavers. Right. Absolutely, yes. yeah. I forget that guy's name. Yeah. Norbert or Daggett. I think he was Norbert. Yeah, he was. I just want to also bring up a movie that everyone loved that I hated and I think will die in a fire later. Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, yeah. A lot of that David yeah. O. Russell stuff is Terrible. just gonna, the Terrible old movie. Silver Linings Nobody's fire. Nobody's going to care about. <laughs> it's just, I hated how they treat everything in that film and it was so cheesy and the dancing was stupid and the acting was not that great. I guess, you know what? I like Jennifer Lawrence, actually. I think she's good. She's a good actress in general. I don't really like Bradley Cooper that much. He's okay. I like him better in like Wet Hot American Summer than I do when he's <laughs> like trying to play a serious role. But I just hated how they treated like bipolarness. I hated how they it, just everything felt so cliche and all dopey I've heard about that movie syrupy. in the past two years is that. So I think you're really right with its reputation. Everyone sinking. Loved Literally, it. the only thing I've heard about that movie in the past two years was people so were mad about cheesy. how it treated mental illness. It's so cheesy. Yeah, all of his movies. What else did he do? No, know. Three Kings is great. Okay, Three I'll Kings was Three good. Kings hard. Three Kings was good. Yeah, okay. his his sort of like resurgence, all the movies associated with that, like The Fighter and uh, Oh, I hate I Heart Huckabees. American Hustle, I Heart Huckabees, whatever. It's terrible. All that stuff. It, there's a lot of buzz, and then who really is going to watch American Hustle? It, it was good. Next I liked year? American Hustle. I think American Hustle got cursed the same way the Batman movies did, where it came out and people were like, "This is the greatest," and you're like, "No, it's just a pretty funny 
fun mm-hmm. caper. It's like Ocean's Eleven. Right. It's it's Ocean's Eleven if people were holding it to the standards of Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember I was talking to one guy after who was like, oh, you know, it was, it was not nearly as good as Goodfellas. And I was like, well, if that's <laughs> the criteria for bad... We're never then seeing another movie. Then there's like 15 movie. good movies. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, that's it. We, yeah, you, we probably hit them all. You're done going to the theater ever again. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick... <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> you made me think of two that I wanted to bring up. Yeah. First of all, with the Franco thing, this was the first one I was going to mention, and then I totally forgot. Franco's adaptation of As I Lay Dying. Right. The Faulkner novel, which I uh, interviewed the writer of your boy matt rager right yeah um we got to get him on the show one day great dude great dude so we'll get him on the show one day so if you want to hear the story of that movie read my interview because he's very interesting Mm -hmm. he's a great interview and he's very forthcoming about the difficulties in doing faulkner and the difficulties of dealing with the academic community who in their way are just as bad as comic book fans right um but i i thought as i lay dying was a really interesting and um innovative take on a book that I really like. And obviously it wasn't as good as the novel, but like gives a shit. Right. It was really well done. And it was really um, experimental in a way that I responded to. And the acting was great. Um, and, and I think the, the concept of Franco doing as I lay dying was an immediate turnoff to so many people, but yeah, like, because he's it so really smart. was pretty good. <laughs> it's, I, I think that one people are going to start finding again because mm. everybody I've recommended it to has liked it. And like a lot of them have liked it even more than I did. Because I know Brad is like a huge fan of that one now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah I got him to watch it when it came out, and he was like, that was fucking awesome. Brad Avery of Smug Film, shout yeah. out. Love and, Brad. And then another one, because you mentioned um, the costumes being so good in Oz, which I haven't seen yet, and I should. The Cell with Jennifer Lopez. Oh, I didn't see that. I remember the buzz about that. People really, I think, don't like that one now, but there's something in The Cell, which is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. Just mm-hmm. visually. Who directed that? That was Tarsum, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that was early Tarsum, um, who also did Immortals. So basically what I'm saying is Tarsum is going to be reevaluated. But yeah, the, the cell has just a lot of visual weight, and it's, it's the type of movie that I feel like when movies cease to look the way they do now, people are going to look back fondly and remember when they shot movies and they looked like the cell. That's like the showgirl syndrome. That's my exact thing with showgirls is that it's... The camera moves, the colors, the lighting, the production values. It was all taken for granted at the time. Yeah. And you go back and look at it and you're like, your eyes are like dinner plates. You can't look away. It already happens with the cell. I mean, you look at that movie now and you can't believe that it's like a real thing. And the the plot and story are super dumb. And, you know, like it's a little, it's a little bit of a mess structurally, but visually, man, that movie, there are very few that can compete with that movie visually. Yeah, you can just go through that thing and just pause and like take stills. Yeah. All right, so we're going to close out this part of it. We're going to answer his question later, and we also have a uh, voicemail to play for y'all. So uh, stick around. See you soon. And now, Chloe Peltier reviewing a movie she's seen parts of while working at the theater. So I would be reviewing a film that I saw parts of while working at the theater, but I'm not working at the theater this week. I am on staycation. I haven't taken a vacation of any kind in, hell, a couple years at least. And um, yeah, I'm just staying home because I can't afford to go out of town. I've been going and like buying plants and doing things like that. I've also been watching a ton of Lost. 
That show is awesome. It's probably my favorite show now. However, I'm going to exercise restraint in spoiling any of it for you because of a couple of reasons. One, people who don't like this show, because a lot of people don't like this show for some reason, they tend to carelessly spoil it for those who are intrigued by it and are watching it for the first time, like myself. I've uh, kind of had to avoid talking to people about it unless I know that they really like it. And even the people who really like it, it's a little bit of a slippery slope. It's kind of, you have to find someone you really trust if you want to talk to them about it. And uh, the other reason is, I have a history of spoiling shit. I was on episode 35 of the podcast, and um, on that episode, it was an intervention for me because I spoiled shit too much. I spoiled too many movies, and uh, your host was fed up with it. And so I learned a great lesson that day. So I recommend that you uh, go back and listen to that if you miss hearing me talk about movies. And I'll be back to talk about movies again after I start working again, which will probably be next week. So bye, guys. Thanks, Chloe. And now back to the show. All right, we are back. And uh, in the break, we kind of realized that this second topic of uh, snuff films and basically when, you know, body horror becomes too much and violence and use of violence, we realized, you know, maybe we need to tackle this on a whole other episode. So we're actually going to save that second question, Thomas, for a, you know, an October kind of Halloween-y vibed episode where we will uh, discuss that further. So you have to keep listening, Thomas. Yeah. So you're getting two episodes out of this guy. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, guy. You're feeling good about <laughs> yourself. Good Joe over here. Yeah. So uh, we're what are actually, you, king of questions. Yeah. King of questions, Thomas. That's what we call him in the neighborhood. Tommy, yeah, get out of here. Tommy question king. Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy question king. You know, Tommy question king over here. <laughs> John, John D'Amico is town. losing it. I've, that I've, one, yeah, that one hit me. I haven't seen that you laugh that hard home. ever. <laughs> there were actual tears. Okay, so we're actually going to play a voice. Ooh, he just threw his phone in, in, in protest. It was protest. All right. On Tommy Question King. We are going to play. <laughs> TQK. A, we're going to play a voicemail actually from uh, Richard Carpala, me and uh, Jenna's buddy. Who, Ricky. Who likes the Frank Perry. So we're going to play oh, that. Oh, what's up? Yeah, he's, he's checking Prince. in. All right, so let's hear what he has to say. Hello, Smug Film. This is Richard Carpala. Uh, I'm calling about Frank Perry's The Swimmer, uh, which I'm a huge fan of. Uh, it was mentioned on the last podcast. And hold on one sec. Uh, yeah, if you, if you overcook it, it's no good. All right, don't overcook it. Hey, sorry. Um... And I, the D'Amico guy, he was like, um, telling, telling you guys that if you like the swimmer, uh, try Frank Perry's other movie about these kids on a beach. Uh, I think it's called last summer, which I've also seen. I went on a huge Frank Perry binge. Um, cause I was just obsessed with this. Hold on a second. Um, sorry. And, uh, when I watched last summer and then I compared it to the swimmer, um, my initial thought was it was nothing like the swimmer. The swimmer was really funny, um, heartfelt. It was dramatic and it was scary. Uh, the last summer, um, was more of 
uh, I guess it, to me, it's like Gus Van Sant, you know, just um, more minimalist, uh, a, a bit darker. And, you know what? Let me call you back. All right. That was uh, Richard Carpala calling in. What were they making? Is it the best guy? Is it okay? That guy's the best. I hope it's all right. I hope whatever uh, they were cooking is fine. All right. Let's take some bets on what that was that was being cooked. That's a family roast. I would assume meat. We're going meat, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a family, like a big old ham. Big old ham. (laughs) I would have thought pasta, to be honest. Oh, that's true. Or no, sauce. But it could be pasta, too. I would think sauce because you know you really a lot of people overdo the sauce. You can fuck. You can cook a sauce. You got to simmer long. it on low for a long time, and yeah, if you if you fuck it up, whew, mm. there's your whole meal meal gone. Mm. But yeah, that's a super interesting question for me. Well, you know, super interesting commentary for me. Um, I'm just always so happy when anybody else watches Frank Perry, and I think this is very telling that he did what I did and what everybody else I know who likes Frank Perry did, which is where they watched one and were like, all right. Guess I'm watching them all now. Yeah. And he's right. The The Swimmer is um, stylistically very different from last summer. The Swimmer is based on a John Cheever story. So it has that sort of Cheever vibe where there's a little bit more of, you know, interaction with the community around you and a little more interaction with, you know, like the, the world in a way. La- last summer is very cloistered. It's very much about four people who block themselves off from the world. And the, the Swimmer, like the rest of Cheever's stuff, is really about one person trying to maneuver the politics of the um of the the very wealthy i think connecticut neighborhood he lives in Mm -hmm. so it really comes down to taste on which one you prefer i I go to the last i go to last summer more because i really like that sort of cloistered um intense examination that you get from it but the swimmer is awesome and the ending of the swimmer is really um it's a gut punch of an ending in the same way that last summer's is i think if they're similar in any way it's the endings they both have an ending that sort of pulls the rug out of the um the perspective that you were following the entire time in mm. the last minute, which is something that Perry does. Um, I don't want to say always, but he, he does that time and again. He has this sense of, of, of uh, near the end of his films, sort of twisting the angle that you were looking at it under. Mm. As for his other stuff, I think the, the closest to the swimmer that I can think of is David and Lisa, which was his first movie. It has uh, the guy from 2001, Kier Delay, in it who's wonderful in it. And it's about these two people who fall in love in a uh, mental institution. And it, it has that same sort of uh, open-hearted kind of people uh, maneuvering through a complicated social setting as, uh, as the swimmer does. And Play It As It Lays, which is his adaptation of the Joan Didion novel, which is the only Joan Didion novel I like, but I really like it, is sort of a good middle ground between what he's doing in The Swimmer and what he's doing in Last Summer. It's very interior, and it's very much about one person's breakdown in the way the swimmer is, but it's also um, sort of dark and, and and a presentation of somebody who doesn't quite fit where they are in a, in a world that's a little colder and a little more distant in the way that last summer is. Would you say that swimmer is the best first foray into Frank Perry or is there... Would I you- don't know that there is a bad one, to be honest. Yeah. Um, of his pre-Mommy Dearest set. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really depends on the type of film you really prefer. Most people come into him through The Swimmer because it's Burt Lancaster and because it's a John Cheever story, so people know the story, and because it's the most readily available. And it's not a bad introduction. It's not my favorite of his by any means. Um, well, John, you brought me in under last summer, so I'm forever scarred. 
by how good that movie was. Yeah, Last Summer really is, I think, the Cadillac of them all. Uh, the first one I saw from him was David and Lisa. And I watched it because I was very into 2001 when I was like 14, 15. And I was just curious to see where the other actors wound up. Because, you know, they're, they have that Kubrick thing where they're in that movie and then you feel like they're not in anything else. Right. right? So I found a lot of movies by just trying to track down where the leads in Kubrick movies were also. And one of the most rewarding ones was watching Keir Delay's career because he had a, this really wonderful career as a um, guy in independent film and television, really cerebral stuff in the early 60s. So he's in like a Naked City episode that's great. And he's in a lot of, um, a lot of sort of smaller and more cerebral stuff before he was in 2001. And um, David and Lisa was the first one I saw and I really liked it, but I didn't exactly love it. But I, I, I thought it was unusual in a lot of ways. And I thought there was a, there's a, a, a sense of people that you don't get in a lot of movies. See, I actually tried that one like a week ago, David and Lisa. I couldn't finish it because it just, it felt totally off to me. And um, you also finish like one in 12 movies. So. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's my, that's my average. But yeah, I guarantee you, you're missing a lot of movies that you would like because you don't sit through the end to them. Last but I'll always, summer, the ending man, last I'll, five minutes. No, I think that last summer will probably be the one that I like the most of his films. I the only one I've attempted to watch was David and Lisa, and the vibe of it's a little bit like. Well, it's very '60s naive in its yeah. concept of um, mental illness, and it's very '60s naive in its concept of like young love. Yeah, and this is pre that, autism uh, diagnosis kind of yeah '62 yeah vibe. So like he's he's very clearly kind of autistic, but they don't fully commit to it, and it's well, it's a little strange. How far in did you get? Because First 15 minutes. Yeah, you can't judge a movie on that at all. <laughs> That's like not seeing a movie at all because the movie sets that up and then the whole rest of the movie is about undercutting your expectations of the first 15 right. minutes. So that knowing that, if I would finish If you've seen it. 15 minutes of a movie, you have not seen a movie. 15 minutes of a movie is, it's like the first paragraph of a book. It's presenting you the thesis and then what a lot of movies do is alter that as they go. I mean, look at what the first 15 minutes of, um, of like Casablanca are. Just people hanging out in a town in in Africa, or like look at what the first fifteen minutes of um, Rocky are. But the first it's just 15 a miserable minutes of guy. Rocky are so good. Yeah, but they're not the rest of the movie. They're a miserable guy in a miserable job. But I judge it on my enjoyment of it. Like if I'm enjoying the first fifteen minutes, I stick with it. If I if I'm not enjoying it, then I'll revisit it. I mean that's it. fine, but I do revisit. But you movies. didn't see David and Lisa. Is no, my no, point. no. I'm I I would so never like, say if that it I came saw up, it. You you really. You haven't seen the movie. To his, you don't to his know credit, he said he attempted to watch. I <laughs> attempted to watch it. <laughs> but I, I agree get that, with but you. Like, from the point you. of view of being like, presenting yourself like as a film critic and as somebody taking film seriously, like the ones that you give up on in 15 minutes in, they don't count. They don't, you don't count, have anything. but I can you don't still, have anything to say I can still them. talk about how I felt about the first 15 minutes. And that's, that's what I'm doing with David and Lisa, which is that you sit down, you watch that movie and the vibe of it's a little weird and you're either in the mood for that or you're not and knowing that it subverts that and changes that as it goes on i'm more inclined to revisit i'll probably what watch good movies don't have a weird vibe he doesn't like 60s movies i i really don't a lot of them i really don't but i would i would <laughs> you're be, like my mom she can't do them either i would be quicker to watch swimmer and then last summer and then revisit david and lisa than go right back to david and lisa sometimes you do the have swimmer to do is that. probably the most 60s of them actually really and yeah, and, and just in like 
like graduate 60s. I'm drawn like it has to, that look as yeah. opposed to David and Lisa's like that early 60s like pawnbroker. Yeah, look. there's a lot of graduate that I just don't really like. And uh, yeah, I don't, I'm mixed on that. Last one summer really uh, does seem like the one that I would like the most just from hearing you guys talk well, about it. Well, he's got a lot. I mean, Play It As It Lays is great. Diary of a Mad Housewife is great. He also did some TV stuff in the early 60s that nobody talks about because it's very hard to find. For the show ABC Studio 67, which I swear one day... I'm going to do a whole episode about ABC Studio 67. Mm -hmm. He did two adaptations of two Truman Capote stories. One was about this kid uh, in the South during Christmas, and one was about him on Thanksgiving. And they're um, just really wonderfully made. They're very light in a way that his other stuff isn't. Um, And they're very piercing in a way that Capote's stuff, when it's good, usually is. Mm. They're they're probably 45 minutes an hour a piece, so they're a good start, too. But... um, yeah, I mean, the more I think about it, the more I don't. I don't think there is a wrong answer to the way to get into him. They're okay. just they're they're very different. I mean, Dummy is really good, but Dummy was a '70s television film, which I've been saying for a long time. '70s TV movies were are a great source of great movies. You just have to accept the um, the the visual structure of them on the terms which it's given, which is that they're usually pretty flat looking. Mm. But they, they make up for it because they usually have very interesting character dynamics and really interesting situational dynamics. And they usually have this sort of pressure cooker feel that really works. Yeah, I loved, uh, and your name is Jonah, the one we talked about on yeah. the Santa Padre episode, 70s TV film that's just yeah. extraordinarily good. Which I haven't watched that yet, but I imagine you'll find the same sort of a vibe from Dummy. That's a sense Where it's I get, visually yeah. very simple, but the, the story is runs pretty deep yeah i have to say i love directors like that who no matter which one you pick it's always a little different you know i really yeah. and i like that so much that's why i think you know I, you know it's like really obvious but that's like i love kubrick because everything's different it always feels like well, it, you know it, it, perry's aren't to that extent by any means i, I think but you know what i mean like yeah. versus someone like uh, even like you know david lynch you know he's very yeah. same samey wes and, anderson Wes Anderson, yeah, yeah, he is the same too. He tr- he goes a little further sometimes. He can be like different themes, whereas the, like or the, like Cronenberg's always yeah. kind of the same. The difference between Perry and them is that Perry really prioritizes the characters, and his characters have a situational and intellectual depth that you don't get in those other films. So like, yeah, that's I think inherently, is- you know, there'll just be stories about different people. So it'll be you know like the difference will be what the people are like, right? But yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't praise Frank Perry enough. His career was destroyed because he directed Mommy Dearest, which destroyed everybody it touched. It destroyed Faye Dunaway, who was one of the greatest actresses of all time. And, it, you know, everybody who was in that movie was never got out of it. And Mommy Dearest, it's, it's, people are trying to revive it as a camp classic now. But like, like I've said, I really don't like camp. Mm-hmm. So there's that element of Frank Perry that I'm a little afraid will be praised at the expense of the side of Frank Perry, where he's just a genuinely insightful and great director of people who feel really real and situations that feel really real. Mm. So I would say anything before Mommy Dearest will be a great sampling of what you're in for with the rest of them. But you just have to take the stylistic approach of the era on its on its terms. All right. All right. So we're going to close it out here. Thomas... I'm sure you're looking forward to that second episode devoted to your uh, your your voicemail. We'll have that for you soon in October. We'll tackle that whole topic. And and Richard Raging Bull Carpala. Yeah. Our king. Our uh, king. Call in again. Yeah, please do. <laughs> please. I thought Thomas was the question king. 
<laughs> Tom. Thomas was the question king. No, no, no one's questioning Tommy's reign here. No one. No one's. Richard. Uh, just sounds like you're starting to support another king. Richard's <laughs> the sauce king. Mm, Richard. Richard's the the. Uh, Assuming it's sauce, it might not be sauce. You guys a, might be right about meat. meat. It's a I think big it's meat. juicy steak. Yeah. Yeah. The big old. Juicy like a steak. Flintstone steak. Yeah, because you, you, you guys get... can't see how far apart Jenna's hands are <laughs> as she's indicating the steak. Yeah. It's a coffee table, which yeah. she's showing. <laughs> it's a Brontosaurus burger. You don't yeah. get that angry about pasta because pasta costs you a couple cents. You know, it, yeah, it might ruin a meal. A couple dollars, You're not darling. Italian. You shut the fuck <laughs> <laughs> Listen, D'Amico, I took Italian for seven years. So gosh damn it. Damn it. Darn it. Dang it. Well, it still doesn't make you Italian. I'm just saying, if you're going to get angry about food. My family has... It's I'm not going to get into the specifics, but there was a three-generation-long bitter feud in my family, like destroyed relationships bitter, about which of two meatball recipes was better. I love it. Oh, man. One was, yeah, one was uh, a grandmother's and one was a great aunt, and it was, I mean, it only was squashed like last year, and it still sort of simmers. Which one was better on which the record did you right like now? Better? I will not say. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> I genuinely won't say. But you have one, right? I have a favorite. Uh, but yeah. it's it's going with you to the grave. He's I'm going sure. right to the grandma. I'm voting grandma. It's it's going to the grave. Don't worry about How it. How many people know which one you prefer? Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember if I've talked about this before. All right, we're, we're we'll cut open. all this out for your safety. <laughs> Leave it in. This is. I remember the last time I brought this up was when I saw some article on the internet from some guy named Kyle from Boston who was talking about how women inherently can't understand Goodfellas because it's like not in their oh, experiential background. That. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's so then I was like, piece. well, your name is Kyle and you're from Boston. My name is John D'Amico. My family is from the Bronx and Yonkers and Jersey. And I'm just going to say none of you understand Goodfellas. <laughs> <laughs> it's not within any of your experiential range to understand Goodfellas or to declare whether or not somebody else will get it until you have that background. Right on. All I'm saying is if you're going to get angry, it's going to be over something expensive. I don't agree. I don't agree. Still think it's meat, though. It's meat. I get a meat vibe. Yeah. Richard, Richard, please call Could back be a in. Meat. Could be a meat. Tell us if it's meat. All right? <laughs> <laughs> Send a picture. We want to know. Send a picture of your meat to us. Let's get that meat pic. We'll evaluate your meat. I'll post it. All right. <laughs> all right. Thank you all for listening. See you soon. Bye-bye.